Welcome to Earth Matters here on Gila Members Community Radio, KURU 89.1 FM, Silver City, and KTAL LP 101.5 FM in Las Cruces. I'm Donna Stevens, your host for today's program and the executive director of the Upper Gila Watershed Alliance, a local nonprofit working to protect the Gila watershed through advocacy, education, and restoration. Twice monthly, we here at Earth Matters bring you conversations with people working on the ground to address climate change in the Southwest and provide you with information on how you can make a difference and help bring collective action to this global crisis. My guest today is journalist Todd Miller, the author of several books about borders, including the U.S.-Mexico border. His books include Border Patrol Nation, Storming the Wall, Empire of Borders, and his most recent book, Build Bridges, Not Walls. So as you can probably guess from the titles of Todd's books, we are going to be discussing borders around the world, most especially the U.S.-Mexico border. Welcome, Todd. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. So, as I said, today's show is about borders, migration, and the ways in which wealthy countries have chosen to respond to the migration issue. Here's a spoiler alert. They're responding poorly, and we're going to be talking about this throughout the show, but most especially in the second half of the show. I recently read Todd's book, Storming the Wall, Climate Change, Migration, and Homeland Security, which was published in 2017. And frankly, I found this book to be pretty disturbing. So uh, I'd like to begin today's show by asking you a very basic question, Todd, about where and how climate change and border issues intersect. Can you talk about how people all across the globe are migrating because the changing climate has made it impossible for them to survive at home? Yes. Um. Yeah, that's I think. uh this issue, um, this issue of where borders and climate and climate displacement and, of course, people on the move, this intersection of issues is perhaps one of the biggest issues of our times, right? And I I look, look at the issue because you can look across the globe, you can look anywhere, of course, people everywhere in southern New Mexico, southern Arizona, where I live, um, the Philippines, where the Philippines is where I began uh, storming the wall. And I began, I actually began the book in the island of Marinduque, where my grandmother's from. And I went to that island and um, discovered that uh, the sea, the sea level was rising there. And I went well, I talked to some people there and they talked about sea level rise. And um, I w- actually went to a community that had to back up their community because the uh, the, the sea was encroaching. Um, now, as and, and that was just one like small example of things that are happening wherever you look. You can look anywhere. Um, the displacement, um, it's hard to... Um, you know, specify how many people across the globe are being displaced due to climate. But, but according to all the reports, and I, I usually look to the internal displace displacement monitoring center who put out a, an annual report about displacement and they do specify do um, their report looking at people displaced due to climate change. Um, those numbers are increasing um, everywhere. And so, 
It's important to mention that um, when you think of displacement and migration, that there's often multiple factors, right? Like often if there's a climate event like sea level rise, like we just discussed, or any number of other things such as drought, um, there's it's also important to differentiate between slow term and uh, immediate term events, you know, the hurricane versus the drought, which is slower, but each causing its displacement in its own ways. But it's usually a number of different factors um, that are behind why a person would choose to leave their home or family members would choose to leave their home and travel to other places. Often those places are within the country where the person lives. Um, that happens a lot of times, but more and also often are people are crossing borders. And so you have this, these increasing dynamics going across the globe that you can see its impacts um, between, you know, that you can look at the global north versus the global south and climate is definitely impacting people in the global south a little bit more due to um uh, the way that power dynamics have worked in the world and where the poor, where there's more poor and where, where there's more rich versus more poor, right? And so when you see that, you see the increasing displacement happening. You see people crossing from the Mediterranean, the Aegean Seas, um, to the U.S.-Mexico borderlands through the deserts of New Mexico and Arizona and Texas, um, and many other places across the across the globe, and you see these impacts of climate change, and you put them together with another dynamic that is happening, which is the fortification of borders across the world. And um, there's one stat that I think really speaks to it. When the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, there were 15 border walls in the in the world. And now there are, by the last count, and and there's um, academics in the University of Quebec and Montreal who are counting the number of border walls in the world. And their last count was 77. Wow. So it went from 15 to 77. And and since 2001, two thirds of those have been been constructed. So it's it's they're increasing in accelerated fashion. And if you were to look at a map and see where those border walls are placed, you'll see that they are going kind of in a zigzag fashion, but between what we know as a global north, you know, like United States and Europe, Australia, um, and the global south. Um, and, and that is why, right, you have a collision course in the making, right? More displacement, more people on the move, and more borders, mean whatever you mean that these these two dynamics are coming together which um i think is going to is, is something we need to be looking at right now and is something that is going to define the the immediate future and going forward unless there's a shift in dynamics right well you've kind of already answered my next question which was about what kinds of climate related problems are causing these mass migrations so You've talked about the slow events and the fast events, like a hurricane, something that happens in just a couple of days, and then a drought that obviously is a much longer phenomenon. And I know that in your book, Storming the Wall, you cite a figure of more than 21 million people per year between just 2008 and 2015 being displaced by climate-related hazards. I mean, this translates to more people being displaced by climate change than by war, but 
those two issues are often intertwined. Can you talk about the relationship between climate change, poverty, and war? You've already touched on the poverty issue a little bit. Sure. Um, the the it was interesting with that that figure is I I believe I saw that it went up to twenty three million. So it's even okay. it's even higher now. Just to update, you know, from when storming the well was written. Sure. And uh, and often if you look. If you look at it, um, and if you compare it to people displaced by due to invite, so that comes from the Internal Displacement Monitoring Center. You look at it to, as as you as people displaced due to environmental re, for environmental reasons, and then they further take it to look at climate, and then they compare it against war or conflict, okay. and it's often at a three to one ratio. So you have three times the people being displaced due to climate reasons than um to war reasons oh. and then and then you have you know to to ask to and to look at your question and how different things kind of intertwine um um and like for example one of the places that i've looked into considerably is central america and you look at um the history of uh what I've looked at particularly is the history of U.S. intervention in, in in Central American countries like Guatemala and El Salvador, and and to somewhat a degree Honduras, Nicaragua, um, and there's all history and the whole. If you go there, the whole landscape of the present, you know, you see that sort of militarization that that ha- was at one point, you know, high intensity and now is still there but low intensity, and it's. It's inter- there's a intertwinement with a sort of oppression or repression that that happens that's been going on for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have that you have an economic system. Um, and, and I'm using Central America as an example, but Central America, um, you can apply it to many different places across the globe. But there's an economic system that has been favoring favoring local oligarchies, enriching the rich. Um, and foreign corporations, right? Like, for example, in Guatemala, the United Fruit Company, um, which is a Boston base, a U.S. company, set up shop. And in the 1950s, when they had a democratically elected president uh, um, who wanted to redistribute some of the fallow land, well, United Fruit Company got um, went to the Central Intelligence Agency, and then they instigated a coup in 1954. I'm sorry to go into this history lesson, but I think it's important to the question. And then that coup started what would be a 36-year-long civil war and a military dictatorship in, in Guatemala, which I mention all this because 1954 does seem a long time, but but 36 years of, of that, and you can see the kind of remnants of that sort of repression, right? Of and you have the the inner the military, economic, and now added to that is a severe co- climate crisis, right. um, a climate crisis that hits. You know, if you're a person who's been marginalized, if you're a small farmer who who um, who is a subsistence farmer. Right. And you don't have any cash, which is a lot of the case in in places like Central America. And then the rains don't come. Well, then what do you do? And there's a crisis. Right. And that's 
and that so I think I think it's important to look at all these different issues, as you say, and and put them together and try to try to look at them in in a whole picture um, as we you know formulate an an analysis around these around these problems. Right. So uh, I have just one more question before we take a short break. You've been talking about climate refugees, these impossible situations that people find themselves in. And in the U.S., ostensibly, we grant asylum to refugees fleeing their countries because their lives are in danger from wars or gang violence or government persecution, repressive regimes, which you just mentioned, and other political reasons. But despite this really extreme threat of climate change to millions of people right now, the United Nations High Commission on Refugees and the United States don't recognize climate refugee as legal status and as a legitimate reason for trying to migrate to a new country. Can you talk about the repercussions of this lack of legal recognition of, of climate refugee status? Sure. Um, yeah, like it, according to the Geneva Convention, a refugee is defined as somebody who's fleeing persecution, right? And so that, and they have not, that was, uh, it was the 1940s, I think, when they came up with that specific definition, which has not been changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even that, right, for the, I'm not going to get into you how the U.S. is treating asylum seekers, but no, I'm guessing it. people know a little bit, like even people fleeing persecution, even strictly by that definition, are getting denied left and right for asylum, yes. right? Um, so let alone that, you know, leaving aside that for a second, or leaving aside that for now, um, climate, you know, when you, uh, even though you would think because there has been a debate in the public, right? Among people like ourselves, we're talking about it there and people across the world, especially internationally, that there should be a, a climate refugee status, that this should be added to that, that this should be contemplated. There has, there, there just has not been. Um, and really up until last year, it wasn't even on the U S as far as the U S government's concerned, it wasn't even on the U S radar at all. And the yeah. reason I say last year is because the Biden administration, at the very beginning of his of his administration, actually, um, I think it was a study he that they did a study looking at you know climate and the possible you know that as being a you know looking at it as a refugee a possible refugee status, but um, that sort of that study has gone to the wayside as well. Right. So it it seems like that was at least there's something out there to absolutely nothing was done about it. And um, and so we're in this place where I remember when I was I, when I was researching Storming the Wall, I, I thought when I was doing the research that I would hear that there would be more converse like the status would be like at least at an international level, at least in a United Nations sort of level that there would be more debate about it that there would be people talking about, you know, changing what that definition of refugee is to insert climate. Climate is especially internationally, right? Especially in places like Europe is a huge issue. A lot of it's treated as a much bigger issue than it is in the United States, even though that things are changing here too. And so, but it, but as I was just so surprised to hear, nope, no, that it doesn't even seem like it's like, 
it's getting shot down left and right because people there's all kinds of semantics and this and that. And what happens is that um, if it's not given a status, then it's it, there's a number of things that it causes. One thing, it's simply you don't know how many people are on the move because of it. Right. Because you're not counting the people, people, people crossing the border are just. You know, if you're crossing the border, like if you cross the border with the United States to the United States and you were displaced in Guatemala um, or in Mexico because of a drought, we'll say, or flooding or something. Um, no, like it, the only thing that matters to U.S. officials when you cross the border is if you have papers or not. That's right. the thing that matters. Nothing else matters. And it doesn't matter what happened to you in that sense so that's that's the immediate most physical most palpable cause of not having that sort of status right and of course of course my my opinion on it having looked into this extensively is that refugee law that sort of that definition needs to be thoroughly expanded to just it's so reductive at this point that it needs to like you know really consider so many different things and it doesn't and it still doesn't right well thank you for that explanation todd we need to take a short break and we'll be right back to talk more about borders climate change and migration with journalist todd miller so please stay tuned <laughs> 